Hey, welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. I'm your host, Christina. Here we're going to talk about all things OCD. If you've been enjoying this podcast so far, and if you'd like to work together, come check out my monthly membership called Mastering OCD and join a group of other people like yourself. You can go to www.coreresults.com forward slash membership. That's K-O-R results.com forward slash membership. And see you in there. Hi, and welcome to OCD Whisper Podcast. And today I have Amanda Petrick Gardner with me, and um, she is an OCD and anxiety specialist in Kansas. And today we're going to be talking about um, specifically teens who might be treatment resistant or perhaps even ambivalent, um, and what can parents and families do to support them to get them moving towards treatment uh, for their OCD. So welcome, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, it, on the show, if uh, folks who listen, they probably know it, we kind of to just dive right in and um, and get right to it because I'm really a fan of um, just having direct, honest conversations and also making it something that is bite-sized enough that you can really take at least one tip out of this. Um, so if you can please tell us a little bit, I think it'll be helpful to hear a little more description about what can that look like when a teen is considered quote unquote treatment resistant or ambivalent or not quite ready. And then if we can talk a little bit about what are some things families or parents can do when they're really feeling at a loss or stuck. Perfect. So the way I look at treatment resistance This could be a teenager that doesn't even want to come in period, doesn't want to start a therapy process, may not think that there's anything wrong, or if the parents are lucky enough to get the child in the office, they may not be interested or willing to participate in treatment. And as we know with exposure and response prevention, it's daily hard work. You have to put a lot of effort in. So it's not uncommon to see kiddos, even some adults, but it's kind of easier with adults because they come, they reach out to you based on their own motivation. It's not somebody bringing them in. So it's not uncommon for people to say, wow, this sounds really hard and scary. I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. Luckily for us, as far as how I approach these situations is that the research has shown that as much progress can be made with just working with the families. Mm -hmm. To me, that's huge success. Even if the child doesn't want to come in, I can work with just the support system, whether that's parents, siblings, a spouse, teenagers and make as much progress as we would if the child was actually in office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the biggest part of what this would look like working with a support system is something we call family accommodation, which that is, um, those are different behaviors that the support system does. They, they think they're helping. They're trying to accommodate or enable the child's behaviors because we have a soft spot. We don't want them to feel anxious or to have to experience distress. So they think they're helping, But what we know about the OCD cycle is that it's actually worsening it in the long term. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this could look a lot of like a lot of different things. It might be the parent is actively engaging in the compulsion with the teenager. Mm -hmm. Say the teenager's wanting to check locks. Maybe the parents walk along with them and they check the locks too, or they say, I'll do it for you. So sometimes they become the compulsion. A family accommodation could be providing the items necessary to do the compulsion such as if there's hand washing and sanitizing urges, the parents are going out and buying excessive amounts of sanitizer to aid the child in this. And again, all of it comes from such a good place. 
we never want it to seem like we're blaming the family that they're ever trying to do harm. They just don't understand how that actually reinforces the anxiety in the long run. Um, another example of family accommodation could be just providing more time mm-hmm. to do these rituals. Maybe with your other child who doesn't have OCD, you're like, hey, get in the car. It's time to go. But with your child with OCD, it's like, oh, it takes them 10, 15 minutes to get out the door. So I'm going to allow them to do that. And we're going to sit here and wait for them to complete their rituals before coming in. Yeah. And you know, as you're saying all that, and those are exactly the kind of examples I definitely also see quite often, right? Or um, like allowing uh, allowing your kids to avoid or miss things or stop going to things, um, providing a lot of reassurance, mm-hmm. um, like I said, doing things for them and so on. Um, kind of a big thing is, okay, so let's say a parent becomes aware of those things. So what would they then do about it? Um, how would they how how would they address something like that? Or if we can even go through one example, and then I'd have a secondary question after that that I know sometimes parents often ask, which is, well, what do I do if let's say I tried that and then, you know, my my kid is just not responding or it just says, oh, I don't care. Right. Perfect question. So as far as what parents can do about it, we're basically engaging them in the response prevention part of ERP, mm-hmm. but with just the support system, we're saying, okay, I can't control your child's behaviors. The less we actually try to focus on their behaviors, and we're going to focus on what we can do here together. We're going to make more progress. So an example would be, you mentioned reassurance seeking, which is a big compulsion for many, and especially kids and teenagers. So let's say the kiddos consistently ask, am I going to be okay? Is this thought real? You know, would I ever do this? And the parents just naturally, because their good heart would say, no, no, you're fine. It's okay. It would never happen. Well, I'm not going to focus so much if the kiddo's resistant. I'm not going to focus so much on making the kids stop asking those reassurance questions because I have no control over them. Mm-hmm. What parents do have control over is their response. Mm-hmm. And so we might be changing up how they respond, having them respond in a non-engagement sort of way, just saying, I don't know. Oh, you're having that worry. Oh, I guess we'll see. Mm-hmm. in a way that's not contributing to the reassurance, but actually might open it up for a new exposure by saying, oh, I guess it could happen. So there's almost different levels of non-engagement that parents can do. Mm-hmm. With really little ones, with little kiddos, we might even just come up with a phrase together as a family, like here's what all their support system is going to say, their reassurance-seeking questions. Mm-hmm. And it might be a phrase like, oh, that's your OCD talking. I can't answer that. Or Amanda told me I'm not allowed to answer that for you. Mm -hmm. So those are some different things that we can do as far as just with the parents' involvement, Mm -hmm. right? Now you have to remind me what the second question was. (laughs) So my other question was, and and again, this is a little bit um, with teens sometimes. So if let's say parents are working on their behavioral response, so they're working on uh, pulling back. And and of course, as I'm sure we can name, you know, most parents will say things like, gosh, this also makes me nervous because of course everything in them as a parent is designed to protect and make their kid feel, feel better. And now they're, they're looking to say, wait a second, the things I've been doing are actually not working, but I'm scared if I stop, you know, what's going to happen. So let's say now they're working on this and then, and then, you know, the, the team kind of pushes back and, and basically says, well, I don't care if you don't reassure me anymore and, and just kind of digs their heels in. Um, you know, what, what would you suggest? What can they do if, if somebody's at that place? Yeah. A couple, um, great question. A couple of things to think about and what we do kind of at the beginning of treatment. And I'm sure every therapist does this is a lot of psychoeducation. 
again, letting parents know that we're not blaming you. We're not saying you're trying to make this worse, helping them better understand the OCD cycle to understand how their family accommodation is actually worsening it in the long run. So I think that psychoeducation is huge so that as they're getting some of that, their own anxiety, thinking I'm going to make it worse or I'm upsetting them, they understand that that is almost part of the process is it might feel a little bit worse at first. Mm-hmm. I think psychoeducation is huge. Helping parents manage their own anxiety is a big part. Mm-hmm. The majority of kiddos I've worked with, I've also had to work with the parents on their own anxiety. There's a reason why they're doing what they're doing. And it might be, I don't want to set off my child or I don't want there to be a tantrum in the store. And so we have to give them the skills like we would any of our clients on how to manage their own anxiety so that it doesn't impact their kids' treatment. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. And same, exactly right. And so same comes to mind as you're saying that, that, yeah, whether it's a tantrum or um, if there's this fear of, well, what if my kid just shuts down and, and just stops talking to me or just says, well, then I don't care and kind of completely disengages, you know, recognizing that might be part of the process mm-hmm. um, and still looking at the longer term um, goal. And like you said, I think coming back to, well, how did you even get here in the first place, right? What, what kind of things did you allow to occur that created and kind of set the stage up that now, um, you know, makes it easy for, for this kiddo to have these thoughts or beliefs that this is the best strategy that I'd rather avoid, I'd rather not engage and, and just, you know, leave me completely alone. Right. And one other thing I would add, in addition to working with the families on family accommodation and focusing on their behavior. Part of our work is also helping build motivation and what parents can do to build the child's motivation. So with little ones that are a little resistant, we might be doing some kind of contingency management, some behavioral, you know, program to help build upon their motivation. How can we reward you for doing your exposures? Or how can we reward you for not asking mom and dad that reassurance seeking question? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even for teenagers, there are things teenagers get motivated by and want to be rewarded with. To me, I consider mental health treatment just as important as physical health treatment. And if my teenager was saying, no, mom, I'm not going to the endocrinologist for my diabetes care. Well, then we would be looking at what my own parenting strategies on how to encourage them to go or what happens if we don't take care of our physical health. So Mm -hmm. I recommend the same for mental health. Mm-hmm. depending on the severity and how much it's kind of inter- impacting their lives. But it might be like, what kind of systems can we put in place to help encourage them to come, even if it's just to listen and then to encourage them to participate in ERP, because I find it just as important as if your kiddos needed to go to the doctor. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. I think that that definitely makes the point. And I think part of it too is um, also kind of recognizing and maybe meeting your team where they're at. If if they're just adamantly telling you, like, I'm just not willing to do this, um, then being able to say, okay. And, um, and knowing us think also when to let go and um, doesn't mean you stop the conversation. It doesn't mean you keep uh, accommodating um, right. But it does, I think, mean that you say, okay, you, you maybe aren't willing, but we're also not going to continue to strengthen or feed your OCD, right? We're here for you. Um, and so continuing to make that separation, I think probably would be um, kind of the thing to focus on and, and yeah. not get discouraged by the fact that, you know, maybe your, your teen is still saying, well, I just don't want to. Right. I love that. And respecting that. And that's why there's a lot of work that can be done. 
even without them present. You mentioned something in there that reminded me, we still, even if it's parents changing some of their behaviors, we'll still involve the kiddo. It's not necessarily saying, hey, we want you to change this behavior, but it's saying, hey, mom and dad have realized that by providing you extra time to do your hand washing, it's actually making it worse. So here's what they're going to do. Here's how they're going to respond differently. And again, reframe it as like, this is what parents are doing, but kind of giving them heads up that changes will be made, but we're not requiring you to come in and make those right now. Exactly. Or if the family accommodation is kind of walking on eggshells, trying not to say certain things, trying not to trigger the child, then we'll have this discussion of like, okay, here's parents, here's what we want you to do. And you're going to sit down and have a conversation with your kiddo about this saying, okay, mom and dad have realized that, you know, we've been doing you a disservice by not talking about certain things. So now we're going to talk about it like any other family might. But yes, we still are in a roundabout way involving the kiddo, but just respecting also that they might not be ready in that on that day. Yeah, and that's beautifully said. I, I love that because that's another thing I see so, so often is parents get really put in this position where they're definitely feeling like they're working on eggshells around OCD. And we have to literally say, look, I, I get it's going to feel uncomfortable for you. But like you said, put it on the radar. Hey, here's what we're going to do moving forward. Here's why, because now we understand. And then you just keep moving it and executing it. Um, no matter what, you know, your, your teen might be throwing at you because they, they might shut down, they might tantrum, they might disengage, engage, whatever they're doing, um, just to continue to trust that process and, and continue to make those shifts over time. Um, and like you said, yeah, being loving, respectful, and, and not, not avoidant. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Amanda. I really appreciate your time. Uh, So for anybody listening, if they want to find you, how can I find you? What are all the different places? And also don't forget to mention one of the things you've created is an amazing coloring book an exposure coloring book for that um, I've definitely um, given out to my own clients. So um, I would love to hear about all that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, So yeah, first the, I created the OCD exposure coloring book and there's a couple of volumes which basically are exposures, whether you can utilize with your therapist or on your own at home, if this is part of your process. And it has some of those triggering words and themes, everything from sex to religion to harm. So those are available on Amazon. I'm sure if you just Google OCD exposure coloring book, I am on social media, mostly Instagram and my handle is anxiety OCD treatment. So you're free to look me up there or my website. If you want more information is my name, Amanda lcpc.com. Beautiful. And of course, I will include it in the show notes. Thank Thank you you. so much for coming on today. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to OCD Whisperer Podcast. If you want ongoing support with live weekly Q&A calls to address your questions about OCD and get topic trainings, please join my membership, Mastering OCD. Go to www.coreresults.com forward slash membership. That's K-O-R results.com forward slash membership.